Good morning. I know it's a small group of us here today, but I'm, uh, I actually like that. I, I like having a uh, more intimate time of being able to speak. I uh, hope there's less distractions and uh, we can get really into this word. And um, we're going to look at the book of, and go to the book of Numbers. And I have a few verses I'm going to read uh, from chapter 13 and 14. And I pray that this be a blessing to you, as it was to me, as I went through this. Um, so I'm going to skip around a little bit, uh, but if you can follow me, you'll get the whole story, uh, starting in the beginning of Numbers chapter 13. <clears throat> so verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. I'm going to fast forward to verse 21. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rahab toward Lebanon Hamath. They went up through the Negev and went to Hebron, where Ahimen Sheshi and Talmi, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. Moving to verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. All right, so here's the report. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Moving to ver uh, chapter 14. All right, that same night. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Moving on to verse 6. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. 
if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Scooting to verse 10, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent. And then the last couple of verses in verse 22, and this is a response from God. Not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised an oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And then our theme verse here. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, because he has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Okay. I know that was a lot, a huge passage. I know that's a story that we know very, very well. Um, and when I think about the timeline of the Bible and monumental times in the Bible where a decision kind of changed the course of history, um, right there at the top of it is the cross. Uh, the cross changed everything. I also think of uh, Adam and Eve and the decision that they made uh, changed so much, changed everything. Uh, I think about uh, uh, the, the ark, Noah, and what happened there and how many people we lost and, and how much that decision or the wrong decision changed everything, the coming of the Holy Spirit. But I would say that this kind of ranks up there too. This time in history where we, you have the spies go out and they give this report, and at this, this moment, this is a monumental decision and a change in the history of the Bible. So I want to I wanna dive in here because I think this can teach us so much about God and what God is looking for. Because here in this verse, um, it, it's, this is God's response. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, God saw something different in Caleb amongst everyone else that was there. And so if we can recognize what God saw in Caleb, I think we can apply that to ourselves and be better at who we are, better Christians in our daily walk. All right, so before I get to Caleb, let's talk a little bit about all the 12 men that went into as spies. Uh, they were all leaders. They weren't randomly selected. Each of the tribes chose a leader. And I mean, to be a leader, you had to have certain qualifications, certain qualities, uh, you would have to have known the oral history of the Israelites, okay? Not, not, at, this, at this point, nothing was written down. But you would have to know, you know, who Abraham is. You know where the promise came from. Know where you're going, what the promised land is. Know who your God is, okay? At this moment, it was two years after something happened. Anybody remember? This, this moment in time is two years after the plagues in Egypt, so all of these 12 men, these leaders of their tribes, two years ago saw what happened. They saw water turn into blood. They saw frogs come out of nowhere, locusts. They experienced darkness over the land. They experienced in hearing the cries of the Egyptians who, who lost their firstborn. They were there. They were part of this exodus. Okay. Now think about this also. 
they never really had a real home. So th their whole life, they were in Egypt, and now they're coming into the desert. They've been nomads. Okay, when I think about home, when I go on vacation, when, I, when I'm out for like a week, or maybe even uh, maybe less than a week, uh, after some time, I'm like, well, you know what? I can't wait to get to my bed. There's nothing like my bed. I like to get back, and I get to... I'm thinking about it. Or if you go out, if you're on a, you, you say you go to India for a few weeks, there's something about your shower, something like you feel like, man, I, I, I love being home to be able to just kind of relax and let loose. And these Israelites didn't have a home. They had nothing to go with. And, and all they have is this anticipation of this promised land that is my home, and I'm about to go home, but we're not there yet. And here these 12 are at the edge, and actually everyone's at the edge, and they get a chance to get a little glimpse of, this, of their home, home that they never had before, and they get to walk in. Okay, so that's, the, uh, um, that's kind of in their, my, their mindset. I want to show you a little bit. This is really hard. Um, to, when you go through this text and you hear cities, and um, for me, I, I am a visual guy. I need to be able to kind of see this to understand what's going on here. And um, on this map, they started from the south, and they're moving north. And so at the, 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 the bottom city here, Kadesh Barnea, is where they're camped. And that's where Moses says, all right, go out, 12 spies, go out and check out this land. And um, so they, remember, this wasn't just a one-day or two-day thing. This is 40 days. They had some time to kind of process what's happening here. And so this red line here is actually their route of where they're going. And they went through these, this mountain region. They passed a city called Hebron. They saw the people that lived there. And they went all the way up to this Rahab up top, the furthest north the spies traveled. They saw the whole land. They got a really good idea of this land. They got a really good idea of the people living there. And they turned back around. They went back down uh, probably the same path for safety reasons. And they went back, and now they have the responsibility to convey a message, okay? They are the leaders of their tribes. They have a responsibility. They knew that this is the, they're going to be their new home. You'd think they're like real estate agents, and they're going, and they're checking out the, checking out the place. And they're like, yeah, the, uh, cockroaches here, whatever, we can get rid of that. But this is their home, and what they're, what they're, what they're expecting, what they're hoping for. And then they come back, and their first thing that they say is, yes, the land is very good, okay? They talk about, uh, there was two guys, I could just picture this in my head, there was two guys uh, holding a big old uh, pole with grapes hanging off. Uh, I can't imagine grapes that big, I and mean, when we go to the grocery store, I mean, me and Kira could probably grab like a whole bunch of grapes uh, by ourselves, clusters-wise, but these are so big that you needed two people to hold one cluster of grapes, so... Um, they, they're show, like, as they're walking by, I can imagine as the Israelites are watching them come in, like, oh, my gosh, these grapes are huge. I can't wait to get to our land. So they start off saying, yes, the land is great. It's amazing. But, but they're giants. But they are enemies. Their enemies are so great, we can't take this land anymore. You know how heart-crushing that is? Two years they've been waiting in this wilderness about to go into their homeland, which they never gone into. And, 
and how crushing would that be? We just went through all of that in Egypt. We're in the wilderness. We're looking forward to this. And you're telling us as our leaders that the enemies are just too big for us. They saw the miraculous signs of, of what God has done, not only in Egypt, but also in the wilderness. But these leaders are telling us that it's too hard. They gave a bad report. And that's kind of where things could have been left off. But then we're introduced to Caleb. Okay, Caleb hasn't shown up in the Bible before this point. It's just some random dude, Caleb, who happens to be one of the leaders, silences the crowd. Okay, so there was 12 of them that went, and Caleb stands up. And what does he say? Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. When did he do this? He did this after there was already a bad report. There's 12 people who went there, and I'm going to give Joshua the benefit of the doubt here, and I'm going to say that he was standing with Caleb when he, when he silenced the crowd. And we're going to say the odds right now are 2 versus 10, 2 v 10, um, not great odds. Okay, it's, it's, you, you already are outnumbered, and these are all tribe leaders. And even after Caleb silences the crowd, the ten um, respond with, what are you talking about? We can't take this. What, are you kidding? Oh, yeah, the land's good, but we can't handle this. And then for the, for the entire, I can think about it as of hours. As hours go by, now this report is spreading towards everyone that's there. And they just took a census. And fighting men, there were 603,550 fighting men. That means now it's two versus 603,548 fighting men. Okay, those are very bad odds. So now you have all of these people, and that's not, and I'm not even including the women and children and those that are under the age of 20. So you're probably talking about two to three million people that are there. And now you have the crying. They hear that we're not going home. And you have everyone wailing. In the beginning of chapter 14, we have everyone crying again. And I'm reminded of the last time that a, a whole bunch, there, was, there were cries at night two years ago when the Egyptians were crying, when everyone had lost their firstborn. And here we are again where everyone's crying because they can't get into, or they got this bad report and they all believe it. It sunk in a little bit, like, oh, we're going to be stuck in this wilderness. And after all of that, Caleb and Joshua stand up in front of the assembly and tear their clothes and said, and try to reiterate, we can take this land. Don't be afraid. If God is with us, who can be against us? And he tears his clothes. And I don't know, we, we, we probably heard this many times about the people in the wilderness. I don't know how many pairs of clothes that they had. Uh, this might have been his only one. And he tore it. So imagine this later on. And for the next 40 years, Caleb is walking around with a torn shirt. But he's reminded when he tore it. He tore it in the moment where he was standing with God. And everyone else that sees Caleb walking around with the torn shirt knows, yes, I remember when that happened. That's when he stood with God and stood against 
603,548 people. Why do I remember that number? I don't know. Uh, but he was willing to stand up against this number. So what, what did Caleb see? Okay, 12 people were going on this voyage, uh, and they, they spent 40 days there, and they're all looking at the exact same thing, but Caleb and Joshua saw something different. Why? They're, they're looking at the exact same thing. The same amount of days, but they come back, and Caleb sees something different. Caleb understood two things, two concepts, very simple. I don't think it's complicated, but I think he understands these two concepts. He understood what is the promise and who is giving the promise. Okay? So the first point is, what is the promise? Well, if we look back at Exodus chapter 3, verses 8, if someone could read that, Exodus chapter 3, verses 8, this was what the promise that was given from God to Moses. Ah, right here. Here we go. Go ahead. Keep keep talking. Okay. So, it seems that when we read this promise, or maybe when most of the people read this promise, and Asha complains of this all the time because I don't read things fully. I only read, like, the beginning or, like, the first caption of things. I don't read things all the way from beginning to end. But they must have just stopped at that point. The land flowing with milk and honey, period. Okay? There's supposed to be nobody there. We're going to walk in on a silver platter. There's going to be milk flowing out of the, the, the rocks, and honey flowing there too, and there's nothing going to be there. But the promise of God had said that these people are going to be there, okay? If these people were not there, that would make God a liar. So the promise that was given was you will be going into a land flowing with milk and honey, and there will be people there, but don't worry. And it goes even deeper, I will drive them out. So he when Caleb was going into the land, he understood what the promise is. I'm expecting to see people there. I'm expecting to see a great land. And as he's walking by, yep, great land. Yep, these people over here, Jebusites, knew they were going to be there. Yep, knew the Canaanites were going to be over there. Exactly how I thought, because I know the promise. He understood what the promise is. Now, who is giving the promise? I want you to also think about this. He knew the up God that was a promised keeper, okay? So first we know that he's, he gave a promise to Abraham, but we, at this point we don't know if he doesn't know that that promise has been fulfilled. So how does he know that God is a promise keeper? Well, I just mentioned before that two years before this, there were 10 plagues. And I think maybe the 10 other spies were focusing on what the, the power of these plagues, and it was powerful, and it was amazing. Of how, and that's what led to the Exodus. But I think Caleb also saw something else. It wasn't just the power of the plagues, but think about how each plague was put out. God made a promise I will turn water into blood. And then, guess what happens? Water turns into blood. 
I will send out frogs. And guess what? After that promise is made, what happens? There's frogs. I will make darkness on this land. Promise. And what happens after that? There's darkness on land. So he realizes after 10 of these plagues, they weren't just plagues. There were 10 promises that were fulfilled. Caleb knows that. Oh, my gosh. That's the God that I serve. He promises something, and then it comes to play. It, it happens. So if God promises this land to us, he promises that there are people going to be there, why am I surprised? Why am I surprised? Everything that he said happened. And I'm walking into a promise. So then, then let, let's examine God's request so far in numbers. Okay, The first thing he does is God requests a census of, the, of, of, of all those 20 and older fighting men. He then requests spies to go out into the land. And do you think God doesn't know how many people are over the age of 20? Does God, doesn't God already know that? Okay. So God sends out, he asks Moses to send out 12 spies. Doesn't God know what the land looks like? Why would he need to send spies out? That's, it's like we're trying to understand what God is doing here. If he already knows, why is he, why is he going through this process of sending them out? Why is he going through the process of counting? And I think it has to do with a verse um, well, I'm sorry, there's even more. God waited until after all the people raised their voices and wept aloud, okay? Before God responds, there was a few things that happened. He gave enough time for everyone to have their own response, okay? So he waited till the evening until everyone was, uh, everyone was crying in fear and disappointment because they wouldn't get into the promised land, and then God waited on Caleb and Joshua to tear their clothes and stand up for him. Okay? What's interesting about all of this, since God already knows all this, what was he waiting for? What was he doing? And it's interesting, and I think it's ironic, that God sent out the spies to look at the land. But what I think what was really happening is it wasn't the spies that were searching it was God that was searching. God that was searching for integrity. And it goes to an awesome verse, Second Chronicles 16, 9, in the beginning part of it. I think I wrote it here. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. What am I saying here? Could and I know this is uh, maybe stepping over certain things, but could God had called the census, gone through all that trouble, called the 12 spies to find the true person, and it happened to be Caleb? Could he have gone through all of that to show the worth of that person who he just found and who he gives strong support to, who is blameless and follows God wholeheartedly, and who God himself says has a different spirit. Could God have been weeding the Israelites out to find Caleb? 
Could that have been the reason why he did all this? I want you also to think about this. God gave Caleb a new promise to hold on to. From the verse that we read, the last verse, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me, here's the new promise. So Caleb's been holding on to a promise this whole time. He's been holding on to the promise to Abraham and the promise to Moses. And now he's, he gets his own unique promise. And this is what God says, I will bring Caleb into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. God promises him that he's going to keep him alive for 40 years. He promises it right here. And later on in these verses, and I'm not going to go into too much detail because I don't have too much time, but God pretty much says for the 40 days that you uh, checked out this land, every day I'm going to mark one year that you're going to be in the wilderness. So Caleb knew exactly how many years he would be in the wilderness and that he knew because he, he deals with a promise-keeping God that he will be alive at the end of these 40 years. Think about that. Yeah, Caleb had to deal with 40 years of complaining from the other Israelites, whining, wandering, knowing that the promised land is right there. He had to deal with all that. But in the back of his mind, he still is holding on to a promise. God told me I'm going to walk into this land. I'm going to walk into this land. Not only am I going to walk into this land, but my children are going to inherit this land. They will inherit this land. Amen? I want you to look at the parallels of what's happening here, of what happened in the Old Testament and with our Christian walk. So you have Egypt, and the, men, the people were in Egypt, there was an exodus, they left Egypt, they're in the wilderness, and they're stuck in the wilderness, but those who make it into the promised land, quote-unquote promised land, are those who hold on to the promise. So not everyone goes into the promised land, it's only those, it's reserved for those who hold on to the promise. Now if I look at the parallels here, well you have bondage in Egypt, well, in our old sinful life, we are bonded, we're, we're, we're a slave to sin, but there was an exodus in Egypt, well, we found Christ through salvation, and now we start our Christian walk. But even in our Christian walk, heaven is reserved for those who hold on to the promise. You see that? Caleb is teaching us something. We have to hold on to the promise from the promise keeper who has never gone back on a promise, we have the ability to hold on to him, hold on to the promise that he gives. God can give you a unique promise. God gives us a promise. Our blessed hope is a promise. The reason why we can hold on to it is because it's a promise from God. Amen? So what happened to Caleb? Uh, glad you asked. Caleb at 85, we get to go, and we get to see what happens in Joshua. And here at, at, so now, 40 years in the wilderness have gone, five years of, uh, of fighting battles, and now Caleb is 85 years old, and now he's standing on, in the promised land. And this is what he says. Now then, just as the Lord promised, get back to this, right? 
just as the Lord has promised, he's holding on to this promise. He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel, Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. Man, you think about that? At 85, he's as strong as he was at 40. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now at the age of 85 as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me. I want you to see the heart of Caleb right here. Now the 10 spies died from a plague shortly after they came back. Then one by one, maybe in groups, you have people of Caleb's generation dying, 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 dying. Uh, illness, disease, battle. And they're just all dying. But Caleb, somehow, he just has this strength that only gets, he only gets stronger. And Caleb's, it's interesting because it's as if everyone else's heart and body are here. But Caleb's heart is in the promised land. See that? His heart, he's, he's always holding on to this promise. His heart is in the promised land. And I believe that is what kept him so young. He, he, wasn't, he was physically in the wilderness, but his heart was in the promised land constantly. He was thinking, I'm, my promise, God made me a promise. He's going to hold on to it because of who he is. And so, other than Caleb and Joshua, the next person as old, the, the next oldest person was 21 years younger than Caleb. So, Caleb gets to pick his land here at the age of 85. And what does Caleb do? Just like Caleb, he's a different spirit here. Back, in the, back before, when I showed you that map, the, the other 10 were complaining about something. They were complaining about these three giants. The names sound very Japanese, by the way, so I'm going to call them Japanese giants. And they happened to be in Hebron. And they, it, the city was fortified, but that's also where the grapes were. And Caleb says, before all the, this is the point where they come and they're going to allocate the land, and Caleb gets first pick. And Caleb says, I want that hill country, Hebron. That's for me. When you guys handle the other stuff, and you would think, wait, you're 85 years old. Wouldn't you want the beach property? Wouldn't you want to retire now? Like, aren't you kind of like, you're 85, you want to like slow down a little bit and chill out and relax. You're in the promised land and enjoy. And no, Caleb says, give me the hill country. And the giants were still there. And he says, I will drive them out. At the age of 85, I will drive them out. How amazing is that? He took the hardest assignment. I don't know if anyone else would have said, hey, I would like to take on the Giants. No, before anyone even had a chance, Caleb said, that's mine. What's also very interesting, and I think Caleb knew this, because he's a promise holder and a promise keeper himself, but that is the exact location of where the promise was given to Abraham funny? Coincidence? And there is Caleb. Caleb wants that area. That's where Abraham 
was buried. That's where Isaac was buried. And that's where Jacob was buried. And Caleb says, I want that one. His mind was on a promise. He held on to it. He held on to it because his heart was in the promised land. And I want you to think about yourself. Is your heart where God is? Is your heart in heaven? Is your heart stuck here in the wilderness? I'm going to go back to that verse that we, uh, we saw before about when we were talking about it wasn't the spies that were searching. It was God searching. God was ser- searching the earth. I love this verse because it, it, it's like the God is looking to and fro. He's going back and forth trying to find integrity from someone. Who's someone there that will say they are going to do something and then do it? I want to find that person. Who's that person who's going to hold on to my promise? Well, that would mean that they would need to understand what my promise is and understand me. The only way to do that is to get into my word. Who was going to do that? And then God is looking back and forth, back and forth. And then to go even beyond that, we're called to be Christ-like. Okay? We're called to be like Christ. And so if we want to be like Christ, one amazing characteristic of Christ is that he is a promise keeper. So that means that we need to be promise keepers. We need to have integrity. Um, I want to show the media team, if you can get the video up. Um, I have a video about four minutes long. And it's, 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 uh, there's this guy named Alex Sheen. And Stan, you can go ahead if you could uh, pass those out. Um, there's a guy named Alex Sheen back in 2012, and uh, his, his father died of cancer, and he's just a regular guy, and his dad, he says his dad wasn't uh, apparently amazing in any, any kind of way, but one thing his dad was really, really good at was keeping a promise. And so at, 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 when he was doing his eulogy um, at the funeral, he says, you know what, um, I, what I want to do to dedicate to my father is... I want to be a person of integrity, and I want to spread this, uh, spread this integrity to those that are around in this world because it means something. Integrity means something. And, he's, and he created this company called Because I Said I Would. It's a nonprofit. It's non-Christian. It's a nonprofit organization that says you're going to stand by what you say. And what you're getting right now and what they're passing along are these cards. And just to give you an idea... The number of cards that have been distributed over the last 11 years is over 14 million across 178 countries in this world. Many of those countries don't even speak English. At the bottom of this has, has words in English. So you tell you the impact of, of what this has. And, and you go ahead, uh, media team, if you can go ahead and show the video. not just the disappointment it's not just the feeling of being left behind the betterment of humanity itself is destroyed one broken promise at a time it may not seem like a humanitarian issue at first but think about it for a second how is this world going to get any better if we can't keep our promises to make it better think about the people who you might know who say things like i'm gonna quit smoking i'm gonna lose weight 
I'll volunteer this year. I'm going to be there for my son. But how often are these promises actually kept? We live in a society where I guess you don't have to keep your promises, right? Nobody else does, so why should I? Nothing about that attitude, nothing about that downward slide is going to change unless there is something to change it. And that is who we are. Because I Said I Would is a social movement, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the betterment of humanity with promises made and kept. A movement seeking to change the world. We are a movement of charitable promises and awareness campaigns. Our projects help those in need. Our promise cards create accountability. Our message inspires action, but we are more than words. We are a movement of local chapters, groups of people who make and keep unified promises to build stronger communities, to sacrifice, to help others. These teams also meet each month as an accountability support group for one another because we all have a personal promise we need to fulfill. And while doing it alone, it isn't so easy. Sometimes we need someone to help us stay on a better path. We are a movement providing character education programming for schools, for school-aged children, lesson plans, assemblies, leadership development. Because yes, learning English, math, history, and science, these are all incredibly important. But if we do not teach our children how to be decent human beings to one another, then what is the point of society at all? Yes, we are proud of our programs and their impact. Yes, we would love your support and donation to help kids in schools, our charitable promises, or even perhaps start or join a chapter. But that is not the most important thing, no. The most important thing you can do for this cause is to be a person of your word. Contemplate your life. Look into your past, the world around you. Remember there are promises that have not yet been kept. Remember the commitments that perhaps you still need to make. That is what is most important. Individual accountability, self-control, it starts with you, the world. It is in great need, and so you are needed. And when you fulfill that promise, when they ask you why you spent all of that time, when they ask you why you did it even when the tides turned against you, when they ask you why, remember where your promise came from. Remember why you started. You look them in the eye and you just say, Because I said I would. 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 very first one uh, where it says, I promise not to do drugs. Uh, I'll give you a, a personal story. I don't know if anyone else had D.A.R.E. in their school, drug abuse resistance education, uh, but I had that in fifth grade, and they made us do a D.A.R.E. pledge, and the D.A.R.E. pledge would say, I will not do drugs, and we all kind of put our hands on our heart, and we, and we did it, and I did it, and, and that, that was in fifth grade, and I made a promise to say, I will not do drugs for the rest of my life, and I, and I held on to it. And it's amazing, I did it as a fifth grader. And I know we have, we have family, uh, family Sunday here today, so this promise isn't just for an adult, it could be someone uh, who's young. It could be a, a certain promise. 
Um, the very second one on here is uh, interesting too. I promise to remain faithful to my future spouse. You haven't even met them yet, but I promise to remain faithful to my future spouse. And you write it and you sign your name. And if your name means something and you hold on to it, you will be showing a characteristic of God, integrity. And I, I mean, I'm, not, I'm gonna be a, a man who uh, does what I preach and I have my own card. And I put it on my phone and it's going to remind her of the things that I need, I promised. And, it can't, and so a lot of this is what you promised to yourself. But you could promise something to someone else. And you can make two copies of this card. And you can sign your name to it. And you, you can send it to them. And say, I want you to hold on to this. This is my promise to you. And when I say hold on to that promise, Caleb held on to the promise. And you will literally have a card where you hold on to the promise, the promise that you make because you want to be Christ-like, because you want to show the integrity that God shows. I pray that this, these words resonate with you and that you take action on this.